Welcome to episode 228 of Fires in the Farm podcast. I'm Donovan, and with me is Roy. Hey, what's happening, Donovan? Hey, breaking news. <laughs> You're probably going to hear this a couple of days late, but they announced that Pitches and Cuts is reporting in less than a month, dude. We're going to have information. We're going to have a team. We're going to have spring training in less than a month, February 11th. Yeah, usually it's right around the middle of the week, around Valentine's yeah. Day. So it's a few days early because the Padres are going to be breaking camp early to go to Korea. Uh, so that's I'm I love it. The earlier the better. I wish they could report tomorrow. God, you really and and then that will be kind of quicken up the pace of of finishing, you know, polishing up the roster. Yeah, like there's the whole half of the roster that needs to be settled. Yeah, there's a lot of work they have left to do. Dude, there's a lot of work to do, but we have a lot of work to do here. We've already done some work. Uh, this is our affiliate broadcaster series. And for this episode, we talked to Jacob Kronberg, the broadcaster, first year broadcaster for the storm. Yeah, he was out here last year, did a really good job last year. Now he's back for his return trip. Uh, so we were excited to talk to him, get to know a little bit about where he's from, what makes him tick, um, and then what he does on a day-to-day basis uh, with the storm. I always find that kind of stuff interesting, how they put together the notes yeah. and interviews and talking to different people and all that yeah absolutely and you know it's, it's funny uh and he tells you and he lets us know what he saw in, in several different players and during the season and a lot of it's really good information uh what i realized is when i was there for for media day uh talking to robbie and he walked up we talked a little bit before i talked to robbie and in the interview i'm like yeah so what like when did you start well, like i want to look earlier He's like so when you saw me i had been there for like 45 minutes so like i had just started uh, but we, me, me and Jacob hit it off and we both, yeah, he's going to be there again this year. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to you guys listening to this. So before we do that, though, I, please go on to Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio and hit subscribe. Give us a review. You can also follow us on X, on, on threads, on Instagram. I started a new YouTube channel for Friars on the Farm. Go to, go to YouTube, Friars on the Farm. Watch the videos I posted our race uh, just last week. Also, we'll be posting all our interviews, all our, our player videos throughout the year, throughout the season. I'll do interviews. Um, we also have new opening music. Uh, Spotify is taking down all the music that we used, unlicensed music. We can't afford to pay for David Bowie or anyone else that we've used. So um, I've gathered with some friends of mine, and their band um, is allowing us to use their music. The opening song is Thrills by Beto in the Trees. Really cool if you dig it. You can find them on Spotify, uh, Beto and the Trees. If you want to see them local, they're playing February 23rd in Ocean Beach at the Template. So right now, I'm going to kick it to our interview with Jacob Kronberg. Jacob Kronberg joined the Lake Elsinore Storm broadcast team last year. He shares the play-by-play duties with Lake E City Council member Tim Sheridan. Jacob was the voice of the New York Boulders of the Frontier League and spent his summer at the Cape doing play-by-play for the Orleans Firebirds. Jacob, welcome to Friars on the Farm. How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me. So I understand you're still back on the East Coast. Uh, where are you at? What's the weather like back there right now? So I am in uh, Nyack, New York, not too far outside of New York City, and it's gotten cold over the last two weeks, probably. Uh, we're expecting some snow tonight. It's definitely not what I got in SoCal. But it, it's definitely a different environment. I've now seen both extremes because I never saw it as hot as it was in the summer until I was in like Elsinore. And it wasn't really that bad of a summer either. Oh, yeah. For me, I, I could not believe how hot it was on a consistent basis. So our friend of the podcast, John Nolan, out in uh, Fort Wayne, he works for the G League NBA team back there in the offseason. Um, do you do 
any other sports when you're not calling baseball? Yeah. So when I get back from baseball season, I came back east. I joined the college sphere generally. So in the fall, it's primarily volleyball and a little bit of soccer and field hockey on the side. And then basketball rolls around. And I work for Dominican University and St. Thomas Aquinas College doing their men's and women's games for basketball. Well, that's that's got to be a busy schedule. How, how do you keep that all balanced? You can't make every game, can you? So Dominican University is, I guess, my main gig. So I take all of their home games. We don't travel with them. So I do all their home games. They usually play double headers at the Division II level. And then when I can fit in other games, I'll do some at St. Thomas Aquinas College and kind of work it that way or whoever reaches out with the schedule first. So how did you wind up getting a job out of Lake Elsinore? So baseball was always what I wanted to do. Like Donovan said, I was with the New York Boulders in the Frontier League for a couple of years, and I felt it was time to try and get into affiliated ball. I applied to the teams that had openings. Some of them inquired back. Some of them don't really even answer you. So I just started sending cold emails. And at first, I wasn't sure how I felt about coming to the West Coast. Grew up in New York, born in New York, went to college in New York, but I had received an opportunity actually with the California Winter League in Palm Springs for about six, seven weeks in January and February. So I went out and did that and thought, all right, you know what, I I could hack it on the West Coast probably. So I reached out to the Cal League teams and beginning of March, Storm reached back out, had a couple of conversations and back to California I went. Was that like a independent league? I, I haven't heard that league. Yeah, so it, it's like the Frontier League, the Atlantic League, the Pioneer League, or probably your big three of independent baseball. Yeah. The Frontier League is a lot of Midwest teams that have ventured east. There's a couple teams in Canada. And the New York Boulders are 15 minutes from my front door. So I used to go to the games when I was a kid. I had uh, done a couple of games as like an intern fill-in in summer and then got a full-time position doing – all their home games and sales for them until I got the like elsewhere job. I'm curious because usually the the team for the name for the team has an association with uh you know a part of the city, a part of the region. What is the Boulders connection with uh with the team? So they used to be the Rockland Boulders because I live in Rockland County. So I think Rock and Boulder is kind of how it went. And they were in the Can Am League back then. Yeah. The Can-Am League dispersed. We joined the Frontier League, and I guess they wanted some type of rebranding. So they just made us New York as a whole. And I, that, I think started in 2021, right after COVID, was the first year when I joined. I, I can imagine the, the mascot's got to be just a big gray boulder. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's actually boulder bird. So it's a giant blue bird. Oh, really? Oh, it's... <laughs> Oh, interesting. So, hey, so how do you, so how do you prepare for a game? So generally I I start actually with the visiting team coming in, depending on who it was. Like, obviously we saw teams like the Rawhide and the Quakes a ton, saw Modesto for six games at home the whole year. Uh, I'll go through, I'll start with the position players and go through those. There's usually about 12 to 14 of them at the class A level. And it starts as simple as all their names at one point getting put in Google and Seeing where it takes me, I'll hop on all the baseball references to get the basic information like draft, age, weight, position. I'll do a little dive into the numbers so I kind of have an idea of what type of player and like what things I should expect to see while I'm on the floor. Fan graphs, adding minor league sports in the last couple of years has been a huge help. And adding the 
analytical side of things. And then I'll hit the news tab on Google and just try and find articles about these guys. I'll search them on Twitter, anywhere that you can find stories about these visiting guys who obviously I'm not going to have much of a chance to meet face to face and ask questions to uh, the, the broadcaster for the other team does a nice job usually of supplying game notes and ha- answering any questions I may have. And then I kind of do that process with our guys, but obviously with the storm players, I have the liberty of yeah. being around the clubhouse, batting practice and just kind of asking these guys, trying to learn any, anything interesting about them. Cause anyone can figure out what somebody's batting averages or how many hits they have, but what was your college experience like? Who A lot of these guys grew up kind of playing against or around each other and just trying to tell their story rather than just their numbers. Wow, that's it sounds awful a lot like what we do here at Friars on the Farm. Like, try finding information on a non-drafted free agent that signed, you know, is, like, really tough. So what, what I do is I search out family members. I'll, I'll kind of do a little creepy creep on, on them and try to find a family friend or maybe someone liked one of my tweets or something like that. Like, Hey, are you so-and-so's mother or brother or who are you? Hey, we're talking to him next week. Can you give us a funny story? Um, so it's kind of the same thing. Rook, do you like a lot of the, a lot of the interviews that we do over not only during the season, but also like in the off season, uh, a lot of the other affiliates use that information. Like Sam Levitt used to love our interviews because he, Hey, send me everything you got. John Nolan, same thing. Send me everything you got that on these guys coming up. Uh, do you ever listen to other podcasts for some of the, for some of the other players or do you listen to a, a little bit? I mean, I, I listen, I listen to you guys and obviously we'd run into each other when you come to the ballpark. Uh, but for us, most of the guys who were coming up had never been anywhere before. Right. A lot of guys coming out of the fall league and the complex. And it was more like John Nolan and I would talk perhaps when guys were going up to Fort Wayne or things like that. But I had gotten pretty lucky, uh, I've been in the Cape Cod Baseball League, and I'm a big college baseball fan. So there were a couple of names that a lot of the drafted guys were names I had either been familiar with or had actually not maybe been the voice of their team, but had them play against my team when I was working in the Cape or the NECBL. Or I had some friends in baseball who knew them, and I could get into like mutual friends and stuff like that. Podcast-wise, I've listened to the the call-up. By just baseball, I use them a decent amount. They do a lot of like rankings vibes and stuff like that. And there, there are a couple of guys who, who went to Syracuse University as well. And I know so I, I enjoyed listening in there to find out about maybe like perhaps Leo DeVries, who we just signed. Like, yeah, there's only so much about him right now, but we're making another splash in the international pool and learning about those prospects. Stylus was easy to find information on because ev- everyone and their mother knew about Ethan Stylus coming in. It seems like the Padres have been picking more college guys recently, and it seems like most of the guys we talked to have had some experience in the Cape. Um, have any of the Storm players that you covered last year, uh, did you see any of them in your prior time working at the Cape or the college level? So my Cape League was actually the COVID year, so things became pretty virtual with what we did. There were no games. It was more just like staying interacting, building those relationships Nick McClary was an Orleans Firebird, as I was. So we had had some conversations about Skip up there. Graham Pauley played in the Cape. I believe Henry Williams was supposed to, but I believe that was the summer he got hurt. I'm trying to think what other names were oh, up there right now. That's Henry Williams. We interviewed him uh, before yeah. a game and had a great conversation with him. And then we got ourselves all pumped up like, okay, this is our guy. 
ah, and then he got traded away. That's right. that's one of the 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 more tender. That one hurt me. because he's, he's he's from my neck of the woods. Yeah, uh, Henry grew up like forty five minutes from me. So oh, no kidding. We, we actually we actually had uh, he was one of the easier guys to like start to get to know because we had a, a handful of mutual friends from back home. Like Henry grew up playing in in, in the same town as Emmett Sheehan on the Dodgers. And Emmett was with me in the New England Collegiate Baseball League. So I would talk with him a lot. And I was definitely a little bummed when he got traded. I mean, because I, I, we were on the road when it happened. So I wasn't even around. I got I got a text. Henry got traded. <laughs> Help him pack oh. his bags. He talked. He just, like, we're like, all right, dude. It's like 20 minutes before game time. He's like, yeah, so blah, 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 blah. We're like, all right, we got to wrap. You, you have to wrap this up because you have to go. <laughs> Um, do you so during the game? Do you get any of the data into the Statcast information that you relay on to the broadcast? I thought I've heard some of that. Uh, sometimes it, it depended on the access. Like certain road teams have the person getting like their TrackMan results in the broadcast room. We did not, so it was a lot of miles per hour or stuff that I would research, like what guys' average things were. I'd be able to get a few numbers from the guys in the clubhouse ahead of time some of the scouting department and the video guys who I'd like to stay in touch with, but we didn't have too much direct access. I think Hawkeye was the name of the yeah. software we were using. So we, we didn't have, I know it can be run manually. So I don't believe our guy was always in the stadium, actually charting the numbers or accurate. So it would have been nice to have. I'm a big fan of it. I love having the numbers. Yeah. So I'm curious what the setup is like. Okay. So I've been to, I've, I've had the opportunity to be in a couple of press boxes um, either just as a guest or I, I've been able to, like, I sat in a, in a press box in AAA in, in, uh, Sacramento. And that was a neat setup because everybody was all lined up right there. You've got the official score, the guy doing the data, the broadcast people were behind a door, but they were right next to you. So all that stuff was fairly accessible. Um, I have the impression that at Lake Elsinore, things are a little bit more separated out into little small rooms. So if you knocked down the walls, on each side of my broadcast booth, I would be with everybody. It's essentially one long table that they turned into three rooms. So you, you go in upstairs. There's a little, like, stack in the hallway from the concourse. We've got the control room is the first room where uh, John Gripe and his crew run everything, all the cameras. The audio gets synced into there. Max in there for PA. Just next to him is was where Tim and I were called the games. Little, like, four-chair setup. We had our mixer. We had a television in the back which the full game would be on. We had a monitor for replays. I mean, I'd hang my crab mic out the window like most minor league broadcasters do and hope it stays attached. And then to the left of me was the scorer's room and the stringers and all those guys. So I had a vantage point through the plexiglass where I could in some form communicate with them on whether things were going to be ruled hits, errors, if we were going to a replay. So it was just kind of like we had dividers up where there was still enough communication. And then there's actually a group meet that we have going to clarify with things. Because obviously numbers oh, like get a, changed like a, around like a, with guys. Like a, like We'd a, chat, a group, kind group of thing? chat. Yeah. Okay. We'd be in a group chat because especially when, as I'm sure you're well aware, our camouflage uniforms, the numbers would shuffle sometimes with who was coming into the game. So we'd try our best pregame to get them all, but there's only a few of us who know everybody by face and not necessarily by number and figure yeah. it out who's actually pitching there's that random the the crazy play the broken play where stuff is going haywire and everybody's trying to figure out what just happened there's an interesting chaos that happens in a press box from that in that moment yeah so it's really 
all up to Lloyd. Lloyd is our official score. He's been there for a long time. Sits just to my other side of the window that I'm near. And I'm talking through what happened. And I just kind of have my left eye looking at him, waiting for him to rule something. If, if it's a hit, he'll just signal like check. If it's an error, he marks something else. And then I'd wait for the number to go up. Error on the third baseman, second baseman, whatever. And hope that the decisions are made quick enough for me to say them yeah. with some relevancy. But it, it really, like, some people will put input certain statisticians and scorers like to ask the room kind of a survey. I've been in press boxes in the past. When I was in the Frontier League, there were five of us upstairs who could see each other through the window. And if there was a controversial one, it was as simple as thumbs up, thumbs down, hit or error. And whatever the vote landed, that's kind of where it went. It was what I found the easiest way to do it. Like, odd number of people, let's put it to a vote instead of somebody taking slack. But people will always complain about what it's ruled. Yeah. Particularly A ball, like your lower levels of minor leagues, like, like uh, you know, a professional, you know, someone in a double A or even higher should get that ball, but someone in A ball, it's, you know, probably not. Um, yeah, I, I learned they're pretty generous on errors, I will say. There probably should be some more errors across the Cali than we saw. <laughs> Do you travel with the team on the road? Uh, I did not. It was a home game only situation. I would more than gladly travel if the opportunity is presented to me, but it's not always in the cards. I think it was us and Modesto did not travel this year. Oh, wow. Were they, and, and everyone else was on the road more times than not. I'd still pop out and go say hello at some Rancho or Inland games and be around the team because, I, I mean, I had the off time when we were on the road, and I was actually staying closer to the Quake Stadium than I was to the Diamond. That's right. That's so, a little bit during yeah. media day. He's like, yeah. <laughs> when I got there, talk about not knowing names and knowing numbers. Try being there on media. It was your first day too. Um, you get it's my hit. first day at the ballpark ever. With that day that we met Robbie and and Sammy and all those guys, I, I had been there for about forty five minutes before you showed <laughs> up, and I, I had just met my bosses. Right, right, right. <laughs> Man, you don't even have time to know where the bathroom is or anything. Right. I'm I'm there like. I can just walk in the clubhouse right now. Like nobody's going to get upset. I, I've got my little pass with my name on it because people didn't know who I was yet. Right. Hey, can you go get me a plate of food? Hey. I'm, the, I'm the broadcaster, dude. I need to ask you questions. I'm not. <laughs> but uh, all the players so are very accommodating. So let's talk about some of the players. Last year, so it's interesting now with Lake Elsinore being the first stop off of yeah. the complex. This is where players get to kind of make a name for themselves. So we're, as you as you noted earlier, we're used to guys, um, you know, getting that first season at, at Fort Wayne. You kind of get to know who they are a little bit, and then we see them at Lake Elsinore. Now that's flipped. Um, so Robbie Snelling, obviously people knew who he was, but he really kind of made a name for himself for sure. He just seemed to dominate from the start, and he never seemed to have any struggles. Did you ever see him hit any rough patch, even something that didn't show up in the box score? Robbie was just so dialed in and prepared on game days. Like there are some pitchers who you could have a full on conversation with from the media side before the game and they can go do their thing. There's some guys who will like come give you a high five, like say what's up and like pass Robbie. Like I'd go say hello. He'd say hello if I reached out, but he was down to his business. And I think that's why he was so successful. I We could tell probably three starts in that he was going to be the best arm we saw in the Cal league last year, he threw strikes. He's built like a bulldog. 
on the mat. I mean, he there's a reason he could have played football on a high level as well. He's a linebacker out there and he throws strikes, which is just the problem for so many of these young guys who were getting their first turn in the league. We'd see games where there were 12, 14, 16 walks for our pitching staff. And then Robbie comes in with his 1.8 walks per nine innings. He doesn't hit batters, <laughs> strikes out 10 per nine. And by the way, if you don't score in the first inning, you're not going to score. <laughs> like, like he, he, he was just that good. He, he was as impressive of an arm and even as probably as impressive as a mentality that we saw come through. He, he didn't mess up. There was not, I think his bad start, he gave up three runs in five innings. And at the time, it ballooned his ERA from like 0.7 to 1.1. 1. 1. Yeah. He was leading all of minor league baseball in run average at one point. I remember that. I remember that happening. I'm like, finally, like, some of these guys are so good. You want them to fail. You want them to struggle because you want to see what they do. You want to see how they react to getting a couple of runs on the board. And and a guy like Robbie, it just he'd get a couple of guys on and like, all right, you're not getting that. They're not getting past second base. And if they're at second no. base, you're not getting to third. Like he would, he would just buckle down in that bulldog mentality and, and, and just, you know, and, and just lock it down. And he doesn't give up home runs either, which was really impressive. Like, when he missed, maybe he'd walk a couple. Like he had his first start. I want to say it was his first start in San Antonio. He had the walk problems this year. And by that, I mean, like, he walked four guys in three innings, which a lot of guys do regularly in baseball nowadays. Right. But he, he keeps the ball in the ballpark, which limits those big innings. And that made it really easy. To, I, easy is a tough word. Made it easier for him to keep his ERA down. And he, he was he was impressive to watch, and we got pretty lucky that he stayed with us as long as he did because he probably could have been in Fort Wayne in a month. For a while there, we were kind of asking ourselves, okay, when's he going to go? When's he going to go? And he right. just right. He kept staying and staying and staying. Um, so a couple of guys off of the indie ball route or the undrafted free agent route uh, came came along. Um, so Braden Nett is somebody that kind of surprised us. We didn't see him coming, and then Donovan went up there and saw him in person and was just blown away by him. Yeah, Braden's stuff is disgusting. The, the breaking ball is so clean, and it's rare for that to be your best pitch already. Uh, for him, from what we saw, it's like when his confidence was up and he stayed composed, he he was going to deal. Like, I remember watching, I think his debut was at Rancho this year when he got called up late in the season, and, and the this, this stuff is there for him. It's going to probably be like making sure just he, he stays focused and, and plays to that strength. There were a couple of guys who – had really good curveballs. His is kind of a hybrid slurve at some points, but that breaking ball is going to play for sure at higher levels. It's going to be, can he throw enough strikes with the fastball, I think, to go with it. But then he was really good in the fall league too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was. All right, so Henry So Baez, somebody else that's, that's intrigued me for a while. Yeah, go ahead, Henry Baez. Yeah. Well, yeah, Henry Baez has not talked about enough uh, on this podcast or other podcasts or in general, he, he had a fantastic season in, in Lake E, and he's only 20 years old? Yeah, I think he may probably turn 21 in the offseason, perhaps. I don't have the, the sheet in front of me, but Henry carried our pitching staff a, a month, probably at the end of the year. By the time Robbie was gone, Austin was gone, Henry had been traded – Dylan Lesko had been dealing with some of those early season issues. Jagger Haynes had all the blister problems. Like right there, that five, that's a really good rotation that I just listed out. And every time Henry was going out there, and it's not that he was just limiting runs, he took care of the bullpen every time. That is 
spot came up in the rotation. He threw the only complete or the closest to a complete game this year. He went seven and two thirds at Modesto in our trip up there at the end of the season in a game that the Storm lost one nothing by getting giving up one run in that bottom of the eighth. He came out with the bases loaded. Just seven and two thirds, a wild pitch brought in the run. It was one nothing. We went down one, two, three in the ninth game over. Uh, Yeah. He was so good about saving the bullpen and with the way the Padres were calling from top to bottom was to have the six man rotation throughout the whole year with us. That puts a lot more, I guess, strain on the bullpen because you're taking one of those arms out because they have to start every week. We were going bullpen games quite a bit. Brack Eichelberger was being our opener sometimes twice a week to try and spell guys. And the fact that uh, it was Wednesdays, so every Wednesday that Henry rolled around, we were getting five, six innings out of him. And usually only one or so runs allowed. You go to the big guys afterwards, come in and shut the door, whether it was like Gerdes when he was there. Or, yeah. And we won a lot on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Whatever day it got split that Henry was pitching, we had a pretty good record. So you mentioned Dylan Lesko. Um, you know, He's somebody that everybody knows. Everybody knew he was coming, but we didn't know what to expect, really. Uh, what did you see out of him? So I actually, uh, my partner, Tim Sheridan, got to call his debut. I was a little jealous. I, I wanted, but I was up in the booth that day uh, doing some of the production stuff, and I'm watching, and the first inning rolls around, and all I can think to myself is all I've heard is change up, change up, change up. How good can a change up be? It can be that good. Dylan Lesko's change up was as advertised. It, it it's bugs money. Guys aren't going to hit that. And even if they knew it was coming, they were going to struggle with it. We got to see the velo build as the arm got a little stronger after Tommy John. But Dylan's another one of those guys. He's just a really good athlete. He was committed to go to Vanderbilt. He, at one point, he was a catcher. He's a catcher turned pitcher from like travel ball. Yeah. He told me he used to catch a lot. I asked the guys one time if the pitching staff had to make a field, who's playing when? And everyone's like, Dylan Lesko's the catcher. He has the mustache for it, for sure. He's got a he's got a great mustache, <laughs> great mustache. But he, right. he's another just like really good athlete. So another pitcher that has kind of intrigued me, and I haven't had a chance to see him in person, but when I see highlights of him, he looks just electric. Is Kobe Robinson? He's been with the Storm a couple years now. Yeah. So the first thing I'll say about Kobe, he might be the nicest guy in the world. He's so friendly. Chat, you're going to get a hello from Kobe no matter when you t- you walk by him. And then he gets out there. He's got a good, lean frame. The stuff is there, but he's a guy who falls into that walk problem category. And we'll go, you know, two, three outings where Kobe was – he was piggybacking. I believe it was Austin Crowe at the beginning of the year. And they were taking care of eight innings of a game. Kobe would come in, go three, four scoreless, and then there'd be a couple starts in a row there where he would get hit hard. And I think he kind of found a home at the back end of the bullpen in the latter half of the season when he started coming in late, closing games a little bit. He, he's very versatile on the mound. And there are some guys who, if you switch them up, obviously, and say, I need you to come out of the pen today, or I need you to spot start now, and it's really going to throw off their rhythm. Try and get ready and do what he needs to do. Long relief, he can start, he can close, and he's going to kind of go out with that same level of confidence. For him, it's just it seemed like it was more of a consistency thing. I'm not sure if that was – mechanical or mental. I, I wasn't that in tune with, I guess, what was happening personally with it, but he's got good stuff. And it, when he was on those roles, he was one of the few guys in that league who came out of the bullpen. It was like, all right, we're going to finish this. 
because obviously there are a lot of seventh, eighth, ninth inning blown leads in the Cal League. Yeah, that's a tough three-quarter uh, slot arm slot from him. Yeah. Preparing for different roles has got to be a hard thing for guys, these guys to learn. Um, and so I mean, we talk about you know, these guys aren't just executing on the field. They're learning how to do all the things off the field. So most of these guys, they've been starters all their lives, and now they come up and, they, okay, well, you're electric. You think if you go one or two innings, you know, and so then going from this long, drawn-out preparation to, okay, get hot real quick, you're going to be in the next batter, or, you know, you're going to go in the next inning, that's going to be a tough adjustment. So I guess that's a little bit of a, of a kudo to Kobe for being able to be, like, flexible to adapt to different situations like that. Yeah, it also comes from the coaching staff we had. It was one of the best coaching staffs I had the chance to work with. with Zamo and, and Yozian Prieto, the trainer, Eshelman, Jed Morris, all those guys. You got two really good pitching minds out there, and Zamo and Esh, working with these guys. They were always available. They were always down to help. I probably talked to Esh before every single game. He was good at making time for the media, and they always had a plan. Most of the pitching – strategies and lineups were predetermined whether that came entirely from the top down or they had the choice of this is what we want they built it in that order but guys knew generally when they were hot it wasn't like in the minor leagues you're walking into the bullpen and all eight guys are hot every day most people don't pitch two days in a row you got three four guys it's like all right it's going to be a compilation of you four to finish this game today after austin crope throws his 75 allotted pitches right and I think Eshin Zamo did an awesome job of making sure guys were prepared and nobody's catching a surprise of someone being out. And then those days were like, guys do have to adapt. When Jagger was dealing with the blister on his darling hand and all of a sudden two, three starts get cut short because that thing still keeps reopening. Yeah. The guys like Kobe who comes in, guys who can come in and eat innings and adjust. And like Fernando Sanchez was bouncing around his role all year. Started in the first half. Became a bullpen guy in those dog days of August and then made a spot start late, like changed it up like it was nothing. Yeah, when I talked to Kobe, he talked, um, he mentioned, like, yeah, I can't wait for Sunday. Like, he's like, yeah, I know I'm pitching on Sunday. Like, he knows when, like, those guys mm-hmm. know when they're going to pitch. Um, he, I talked to him early last year and, uh, he, great guy. I think he plays Y2K. Um, they all, they all play video games. Um, Austin Crobb isn't, you know, a, a, another friend of the podcast, but another kid that, that came up and just dumped, uh, did so well. What did you, what else did you see from him? It, well, it was nice to have another lefty. We were very left-handed ha- heavy in the beginning of the year. And then all of a sudden just had Sanchez at the end. But Austin was another guy who, like you said, he was our Sunday guy to start the year. And, and he went out there and took care of business. If he got out of the first inning, like he, he really seemed to settle down. A guy who had the ability to go deep and, and it's another control thing. Like the stuff is there. It's not the hardest thrower in the world by any means, but a solid breaking ball. He's got three pitches. It seems like he can trust and probably more to come coming at left-handed slot. But for a while there, I mean, he, he and Robbie were pacing the league and earned run average. One of them had all the talk coming in. Everybody knew Snelling and there's Austin pacing him. They're right at number two and earned run average, not walking guys. And both those guys, like Austin too, like, they didn't give up the big hit. Yeah. It's a simple, like, two guys get on. Can you get out of it? Or are you going to give up that three-run homer or that two-run double? And they really seem to bear down. I mean, at points, Austin was – I can't remember the numbers exactly. It's been a while. But he, he was near the league leaders in stranding base runners on base. 
which sometimes was more important than like the solo home run is going to happen. There's a lot of home runs, but you avoid that three run shot. And Austin had a good little pit pitch mix. And I personally wish those guys could have stayed with us the whole year, but you know, they deserve to go up and uh, I think they're going to, they're going to keep climbing. Yeah. You know, you know we've talked to on, Pete Zamora. Donovan's had a chance to talk to Pete Zamora plenty of times. Um, but uh, Tom Eshelman, he's brand new as a coach. And I was surprised to hear how many guys mentioned him by name as somebody that helped them out on a personal level. Um, and to hear you say that he helped so much with the preparation, but not only that, with the press. So what were some of your interactions with him? Like you know, trying to get to know the players a little more or understanding game plans? Yeah, a, a lot of times. So I would do game notes. I would do the media guides and the game notes for the series in the week. And especially with me not going on the road, that stuff, I needed to obtain that information before the homestand I did it. It could be as simple as going in the clubhouse and knocking on Ash's door and saying like, hey, can I get the pitching rotation for the week? Sometimes it was public, sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes I'd get the who's asked, like who's it going to? Uh, because we didn't always want to give it away. But he would just be in there to talk, whether it was like little things on what pitch guys are working on, things of like you said, Kobe Robinson used to know he was pitching on Sundays. Like I'd have access before the game. Ash would be like, yeah, expect like this, this order of three guys today and then maybe a crapshoot after that, like if all goes wrong. So have an idea of who, who was going to pitch in that game and what matchups might come and how many innings we're going to get out of somebody. Because maybe I was talking to Austin Krobe earlier in the week and I had a couple stories that I wanted to make sure I got out. If I know Austin's going 85 pitches and done, he hits that 60 pitch mark. All right, it's time to time to empty the tank on the Austin Krobe material perhaps. or uh, Especially as the season was coming to an end. and he, he was just always willing to help. Zamo and Jed, like those guys were – also great, but it seemed like Esch was kind of the one who took charge. And I guess like he's dealt with media. Like he, when he's playing with the O's, he had been up, he'd been around the boat. Sometimes we just chat as like a couple of dudes. Like you go up, ask how the family is, stuff like that. You, you're a local guy. Yeah. He had Absolutely. been back. Not many guys there have been East. Like I had lived. He had been in Baltimore. Like he had been to the East Coast. He played in minor league teams up here. So some of his life had been relatable to the, I guess, the style in which I grew up too. Yeah, and that personality goes a long way when it comes to player development, when it comes to game planning and trying to get these guys to buy in in the system. Uh, that just the easy to get along with, you know, and being so fresh from being a player that, you know, that's much more relatable. And he, like, Esch did not throw hard. Like, he had to finesse. You know, he had to get every inch to get 88, 87 uh, out of his arm. But being so fresh from playing, you know, I think the players can really, really they really took to that. Yeah, he, he, was, he was great with him. And then we'd be on the road in those days where I could get out there a little earlier because there were no, like, work constraints or hour or whatever. He's down in the bullpen, crouched in the squad, and catching five, six guys coming up to throw their 15 pitches when they're trying to work on the IVB stuff or velocity or pitch location. And he'd just stay down there and – Deep tossing back, they'd have the track man set up behind him. They got enough faith to not put a net between him and the track man. <laughs> uh, that's great. So, moving on, let's talk about some position players. You know, uh, Sammy Zavala is uh, is one of the top 30 prospects for the Padres. Another friend of the podcast. We love the kid. Um, you know, but that outfield in, in E is pretty big. Did you know, did you feel like he can cover all that ground out there? I think he he can definitely – he's got the speed to cover it for sure. And I think that makes up for some of the young reads maybe we saw in the beginning of the year. 
he is a, a, a tremendous athlete, and it felt like at times we had three center fielders, maybe even four when we were out there. We had some of the most fun outfield you could watch with the combinations of Sammy, Kai, T-Rob, Nick Vogt, like everyone out there, even Car- Carpathios when he was coming up, everyone out there could go get it. And Sammy, Sammy wanted to be in center field. He did not like having days off. He wanted to be in the lineup. He wanted to play. And let's be honest, anything he gave you defensively was icing on the cake with the way he hit that year, this year. I mean, he played more games than anybody, I think, outside of Verdugo with the team. I think they're the only two guys who played triple-digit games. Um, T-Rob T- was another kid that played in the Cape, I believe. Yeah, T-Rob was on the Cape, yeah. Yeah. I actually actually made it out there this year. The uh, right before the playoffs, um, I, my wife's got family in Connecticut. And we had a day. She's like, "We want to do something." And we're like, "Well, the Cape? They're playing in the Cape. It's like three hour drive." She's like, "Okay." I'm like, yeah. "Really?" He's like, "Yeah, hell yeah." Went out and sit in Hyannis, caught a Hyannis uh, in a Braves game, and just- Hyannis is where I used to go as a kid. That was my childhood. Okay, because they were the Hyannis Mets. I was a New York kid. Oh, we stayed right on the on the drag and some. Ironically enough, dumpy hotel next to the pizza place that was fantastic. Um, but it was just one of those like bucket list things for me. And we made it out there. I hope we get to make it out there again. I loved it. I bought a shirt and um I now I follow them on all the social media and, and just stoked every time I get a chance to see anyone. Next went, time you get out there, see if you can convince the family to go further east on the king. Okay. The two best game watching Orleans at Eldridge Park. People line up on the hill in the morning. They come and drop their lawn chairs to reserve their place. A couple of thousand, and then yeah, hit their and then Veterans Park in Chatham. Those those two, they play each other every year on the Fourth of July. Five thousand people, like wow. crazy. Yeah, we got there a little early. Uh, the stands weren't that packed, but and, like I could tell, like there was still seven hundred, eight hundred people there. There's and, way more people than should be at a game at an old high school on the right. Cape on a Wednesday night. <laughs> And and the bleachers behind the dugout, that's there. You can't sit there. That's all scouts. That's all technology. That's like, I walked by there. I'm like, uh, I'm not gonna even try that. But that's that's where that's yeah. where everyone is. All right. So hey, you know, a couple of guys that came out late that we loved a lot. Dylan Head and you know, H- uh, we I call him HBJ because Homer Bush Junior is just way too long. Those two guys. I, I mean, HBJ just really came on the scene and really just lit up like E. Made his way up to uh, the double A and and just tore it up. Yeah, he he's got something he can't teach, and it's that speed. Boy, can he run! And all those outfielders we talked about. I don't know if anybody covered ground better in center than Homer. He, he was making tremendous diving catches, leaping up at the wall, and the fact that a guy gets on base and you know he's going to run. Everybody, the pitcher knows, the catcher knows. I know. My mom watched it at home. Knows. And he's going to steal a base. He, between the complex and the storm, he was like 20 for his first 20. Like, he's electric. And the bat started off hot. It, it, it's an unconventional swing, as you see a little bit of. And, and the bat to ball probably is what's going to have to grow the most. But the defense and the speed, like those are two tools that are already plus tools for him. I mean, if there's an 80-grade runner, he's one of them. And then Dylan brings – more of that same game. He's a little smaller than Homer. Not the biggest guy, um, but probably a little more advanced with the bat at the moment coming out of high school. I mean, he's a first-round guy, and, and I wish we got to see more of him. He joined in a week on the road. We came home. He had to miss a, he missed a little bit of time 
And then I and he only played like three, four games at home. So it was kind of upset. But I was up in Rancho when he got his first career hit. That was cool. Cool moment to, to be a part of. I mean, we, we had a really nice track record of guys who got to come through this year. I mean, between, I mean, not just MLB network, but you look at like the variety of top 100s that these different places have out there. There's six or seven guys who went stormed this year were on somebody's top 100 list. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then being doing, in close proximity to all these major league ball, ball clubs, you get some, uh, some rehab appearances from some interesting guys too. Yeah. It, it was really cool because I did not expect with a single A job to get a bunch of the rehabbers, but I guess when it's let's send them an hour and a half up the road over. Texas or Indiana, right? The guys are a lot more uh, open to the opportunity. Uh, so obviously, Musgrove was the first guy to come by this year. He was just early on to the spot starting inland. Did not get a chance to meet Joe. Heard great things. He bought everybody Cold Stone. That's what I know. Okay, that's what we wanted. That was the question. Like, did he buy everyone Cold Stone? They bought it. That, that's what I heard was Cold Stone and money. I I wasn't there for it. Unfortunately, I, I wish I got my Cold Stone, but. Joe and I can deal with that if I ever make it back to San Diego. Uh, and then uh, Drew Pomeranz was around a couple of times. I mean, Drew was our my first game I called for the Storm, actually. Okay. So Tim Sheridan did the opening weekend. I did that Tuesday with Modesto in town. It was the first minor league game I ever called. Drew Pomeranz was on the mound, which was pretty cool. And he was a very nice guy, kind of quiet, country strong. I mean, he, he is way bigger in person than the People probably think he is, but very courteous guy. Say hello, answer any questions you have. I mean, he's been to the show. He's a consummate pro who was willing to, you know, do what he needed to do. And then it was fun to watch him pitch, obviously. You know, you spend 10 years in the big leagues. These 17-year-olds aren't much of a contest for you. Right. (laughs) Well, speaking of country strong, do you have any Griffin Dorsting stories? Story. Was he arrested for murdering a baseball? Or so what I can tell you, he must have been one of the most fun guys to watch in in batting practice. Oh yeah, and even especially on the road because obviously we got a tough park to hit home runs in. It wasn't even the home runs he hit. It'd be like he'd get in for this round and be like, "All right, I'm going to try and go up the wall. I'm going to go with the ad monster right now." And he'd just flick his bat out there and poke it thirty feet up the wall in right field. And to me, that's more impressive. Like there's a lot of guys who can pull a baseball. 350 feet, there, there's power everywhere. What I'll tell you about the Dorching family, I don't know if there's a family that watched more Storm games last year. Really? Stad active on Twitter. Always, always, always was checking in to make sure the broadcast is coming in on time, which I appreciated. Days where we'd have audio, I mean, we all work in the industry. Audio problems come around. Sometimes maybe nobody's there to check that it's not coming through the stream. They, they were ready to go, and he was very great. Like They were all very gracious for the role that maybe some people look at the smaller part of the team that makes everything go. The Dorshings and Griffin were always very appreciative of that. Um, I saw Griffin play once in college, actually, you know, when he was at Oklahoma state, I saw them play Vanderbilt his senior year in the opening game of the college baseball season. It was 24 degrees in Nashville. <laughs> it was 24 degrees. I dragged my brother to the game with me and it was so cold that Vanderbilt was giving out free hot chocolate. Oh, so it's kind of hard to make a baseball travel when it's that cold. Did he right. get into any? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't. I, I it was a one nothing game from what I know, and I think I bailed when it got dark because it was too cold. But I, I just it was cool. It was like because I was looking at the roster when the team rolls around. I'm like Gryffindor. I was like, why do I know this? And I saw Oklahoma State, 
And I was like, oh, you was on you were on that team. That was really they were a really good team his senior year. And obviously he won that college home run derby. He mashes. He's as recognizable as it gets with, with that platinum blonde hair. Yeah. But he he was a good guy to have around. Like good good team team guy. Like and I mean when he put a charge in, he'd go on those runs where he nobody else is hitting line drives out of the diamond. Right. Nobody. I think it was him. I think it was him and Tyrone Lorenzo from Rancho. We probably hit the two furthest balls we saw there this year. Maybe somebody from Modesto. I'm blanking on the name right now. Modesto had a catcher who came and hit four home runs that week. Can't remember exactly who it was, but those were so the three. Talk about, Griff, Griff, you can talk about personalities, clubhouse personalities behind the dugout or behind the, uh, the screen batting practice. Who are some of the more entertaining, fun guys to be around that were on this club last year? Uh, I, I know, I know Wyatt Hoffman. He never seems. Yeah, to be I mean that's filled. that's the that's the that's the free one. Wyatt is a character. If we're going to go outside of Wyatt, Graham Pauly, always down for a conversation. Talking yeah. of guy, uh, Graham, who probably could have been the MVP in the league this past year. How good he played. I mean, that's a guy who I'd watch out for actually in San Diego next year. I, I wouldn't be shocked. I'm sure we've all seen that. But Graham is a very confident fellow. Um, quarterback in high school, really good athlete. Um, had a good time at Duke, was on the Cape. But every time I'd ask him, like, I'd just be like, oh, we play any other sports? I'd be like, team goes, plays pickup. Who, who's like, who's cooking the guys on the, on the blacktop? And he goes, him. <laughs> <laughs> he, goes, he, he goes himself, and then he used to be a quarterback in high school. I was like, all right, so who throws the football better, him or Robbie? And he's like, probably Robbie just because he's three years more recent, like, to throw in a football. <laughs> so, and then he goes out there, and he plays, like, four positions and hits 350. And you know what? I would be really confident, too, if I did that. You know, he was a good guy. Jagger Haynes. Jagger Haynes was a lot of fun for a young guy coming in, dealt with so many injuries. I ran into Jagger at the airport when we were all getting out for the all-star break and like middle of public comes over, like taps me on the shoulder. He's like, Hey, what's up? I was like, I didn't even see you, but Jagger's always around for a good time. He took like four flights to get home for to North Carolina for the all-star break. <laughs> we're, we're looking at North uh, Carolina. And if you don't live out of Charlotte or Raleigh Durham, you're taking a few flights. I want to say he's in white is Whitesville. Is that the town? Whitesville is a town. town? Same town that uh, Mackenzie Gore is, is yes, from. Yes, same town as Gore. So Which we were going, hours away from anywhere. Well, we were flying out of Ontario. Obviously, there's only a certain place you go. I'm, I'm going to Austin, Texas. So I'm like, I got to connect to Dallas to get us. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to Dallas, too. And then I got to go to Charlotte and then Raleigh and then get to Whitesville. Or I'm like, you're going to be home for like 16 hours by the time. By the time you turn around, like I was like, I have four days. You have two. Like, where are you going? But he's a good young spirit. But like you said, why is the guy? I mean, why everybody want? I wanted to see why on the mound this year. I'll take BT with the shades on. He pitched not this last year. Yeah. Oh right, right. He pitched in 2022, but he's always a clown. The the. Biggest, the most anticipated debut this year was Ethan Salas. It surprised us that he came up. Uh, but when he came up, did you guys get advanced warning? Did you guys, like, what information did you get when he came up? So I had heard through the grapevine about two weeks ahead that it's a possibility he makes it up before the All-Star break. 
that was all I had really heard. And I was like, cool. Like that'd be awesome to get him for like a couple of games, even at the end of the year, like coming into the season, I thought maybe we see him for a cameo in September. Right. Yeah. That's what we and, yeah. and then a couple of guys I think had gone down. We had made our first promotions to Fort Wayne and, um, I used to sometimes the stuff getting updated on the website, like I'm not on the, there's the transaction forms that get sent around to the media and we're to the minor league commissioner's page. I don't know, Justin used to send it, but I'm on this listserv and I got note that four or five guys that got sent out or hurt. And I'm like, where are we going? I text somebody to the clubhouse. I was like, do we know anybody coming up? Because it's a Monday night. We got a game the next day. I've got to fix my media guide now. I've got to fix my preparation and. I got the word that he was coming up and I was like, thank God I'm on the call tomorrow. Let's go. <laughs> We're excited. And he came in and obviously he was a hot commodity that everybody wanted to talk to. Uh, he seemed to do his due diligence and handle whatever needed to be, but yeah, it's a lot of pressure. I mean, that still doesn't have a learner's permit to my knowledge, but yeah. He was off limits to us. I believe he was off limits. No, to he was. Landers. He, I think he was on limits for about 72 hours. And then the Padres called it quits. So yeah. they just wanted to let him focus. But I mean, that's where like being like with the team was really nice. Cause I got to see him around and like be down watching VP. And he's, he's a, he's a quiet guy from what I know. Like he, he's a ball player. And I remember asking him the, the day after he got that first hit, it was like, well, obviously, congratulations. What's the moment like? And he was like, I'm just happy it's done so we can play baseball. Like, he just wanted to come up and hit, and clearly he was not overmatched. The, the coolest thing about it is, like, you think a guy's coming up super eager, he's going to swing at everything. He had a 13-game walk streak to start his affiliated career. He was he was just getting on base, and then once he kind of made sure he was really seeing pitches, he hit nine home runs with us. And I mean, he was clearing the ad monster, and he was – Hatching twice a week, maybe three times a week, he would DH, but not many guys are going to live up that quick to the prospect type and grow from, you know, a top 60 guy to a top five guy in a matter of three months. Yeah. But he was, he was so cool to have on the team. I try to put myself in his shoes. Like you're 17 years old. You're being, you're, you're being promoted so quickly. There's all this hype around you. So you can't just show up and, and, be a big personality so it would make sense to me that he would kind of be low-key you know button it up a little bit and just try to you know i'm just here to do my job and try not to make too big of a splash but maybe that's just the person a bit of his personality yeah yeah and I, i'm sure he had some help like obviously his brother jose had gone through the process and started in that miami farm system he was sent to minnesota in that pablo lopez deal they're in contact i mean to see someone not too much older than me. I think Jose is only like 19 or 20 right now. Right. Kind of go through that process, have someone close to you to be in touch with and know what to expect. Cause it's not like his brother was a slouch of a prospect. He was a $3 million international signee himself. And to go through that. And then Ethan comes in, he jumped very, very quickly. I did not expect him to get to San Antonio by any means. Yeah. No, I mean, no. obviously, seeing him every day, I was like, yeah, he's going to end the year in Fort Wayne. Like, I'm thinking cameo in Fort Wayne, open next year there, maybe cameo in San Antonio at the end if somebody goes down. But he plays a premium position. He, he's got a good arm back there. He he's, It seems like he's pretty good with the pitchers. I mean, you know, him and Snelling as a starting battery sounds pretty nice, and it should sound 
really nice to Padre fans. It it does. We talked to when we talked to Robbie. We asked about Ethan, and um, he's like, I you know, he came into the meeting and he wasn't prepared. And like you said before, like Snelling, Robbie is like he's got his notes, he's got his thoughts, he's got his imaginary ideas, just like he, he comes in prepared. And he and he's like, hey, this so this is what I do. What do you got? And he didn't. And Ethan didn't have anything. And Ethan was like, okay, I'll do it. And the next time they had a meeting. He had notes. He was ready. He was prepared. So you, you can come in with a lot of hype, a lot of skill set, but there's still lots of development, still lots of stuff to learn. And no one was, everyone was surprised that he, that he left A, left Lake Elsinore, but B, made it to double A. And if you hear AJ Preller talk about it, uh, you know, it makes sense. But to, the, to everyone else, we're like, just let the kid rake in high A. And they have their reasons. Like, they, they have the reasons that I guess we're not. Yeah. And, and stuff that I did, like, all, all I would hear, because uh, I'd ask around being like, he hit 143 in Fort Wayne in 26 at bats. Why is he going to, why is he going to double? And may, maybe it's as simple as like, all right, they want to pair off him and Robbie because they seem to have jumped, like they jumped there at the same time. And look, that could be your 2027 opening day bat, like for all we know. But they work together well, and I think it helps Ethan's standpoint of he came in and worked with a pitching staff that had some individuals who were also better than the level they were playing at, like getting to catch Robbie, getting to catch the stuff that Dylan Lesko has, Henry Baez with what he did also, like all these guys who were definitely ready to make the jump both age-wise and performance-wise and mentality-wise and carry him along in that crew. And then you throw his bat with Graham and Sammy and Jackson Merrill is up there too. Like, yeah. There, yeah. There, there's some names that, that are going to be a lot of fun and some personalities out there. And like Ethan was a walking highlight. The Twitter mentions were too much. Right. <laughs> uh, this is part of my Everything Ethan Salas walks in second at bat going viral. <laughs> So is there anyone that you're looking forward to uh, coming up in the new season? I want to see a lot more Dylan. Like, obviously, getting some true time with Dylan down there. And I think it's about time, like, Rosemont Verdugo is due for a big leap and a guy who had some power numbers in the complex. And then it didn't really translate to Lake Elsinore. I mean, Rosemont's 18 years. Rosemont's so young. Yeah. Like, we forget because he played 115 games at shortstop. But – he was 18 through the whole season, yeah. and he's going to come back. Uh, a guy like Romeo Sanabria with his power that we really oh, didn't get a yeah. chance to see because he came up so late. Like yeah. Romeo's strong. He's a beast. He's strong, and to have a chance with some of those guys. And honestly, look, you can't rule out anything with Devries. I'd be honest. I don't 100 percent know how to pronounce the last name. DeVry's. Of our number one internet, it is Devry. Like Devry, De- who says he fries with a V? Yeah, DeVry. who says he's not in like Elsinore next year? Right. Let's be oh, honest. Yeah, like, he's older than he's older than Ethan. Yeah. He's older than Ethan right now. <laughs> or or, or damn close. Ridiculous. I'm pretty sure Leo's already 17. <sighs> so there, there's no reason, and that's another guy of like shortstop with what the Padres seem to do, and kind of moving Merrill off of it a little bit. Is not a position of depth in the organization. Like, obviously, we have three short steps on the San Diego Padres, yeah. but 
below it, maybe not. And, and you bring in another guy who's a number one signing and a premium position. And I think that's what the Padres have done well in the farm system. Is you look at the center fielders, the catchers, the shortstops, that they like play up the middle. And look, maybe there's not too many traditional third basemen or first basemen and stuff like that. But they put Merrill there. Like I could totally see him continuing to progress at first. He's big. He's athletic. A guy who can bounce around, but DeVry, I mean, I, you can't beat having another one of those guys. Yeah. I mean, if he plays and he's what he's supposed to be, there's no reason he's not a top 100 guy by the end of next year. They were talking about him today, um, four to six weeks in the Dominican, then probably get him stateside for spring training. Yeah, that's a, yeah, which would be really cool and similar to the path they gave to Ethan. And I do think that. He'll probably start in the fall league. Like Ethan went to extended spring training and then was banged up a little bit. Like his first pro at bat that counted was in like Elsinore. Right. DeVries, you probably don't have to do that too, unless obviously an injury comes and then you want to jump him up, but you let him go to the fall league, see what's what. And obviously like the 17 international signing. If you don't think he's ready, he could stay there all year and nobody would ever question it. Right. Right. I so do you have, do you have a, we really appreciate you taking the time to, and, and coming on. Uh, doing it. It's been a blast. Hey, uh, do you have a, one memorable call? All right. Sunday game against Rancho in Lake Elsinore in May. We're down 10 to 9 to 3. Seven run comeback, bottom of the ninth inning. Albert Fabian walk off three run home run, I think was an out of body experience. I don't remember what I said until afterwards. <laughs> but all I know is I sit when I call the games, and then all of a sudden I was standing up afterwards. And um, that, that comeback against Rancho arrival, like we were really hot to start the year and, you know, it was the largest comeback of the season for the storm. So that either that one or the, the solace first hit is a call that I'll always remember yeah. just being a part of that and all the hype coming around him, but the Fabian home run, I mean, Albert, Albert's got pop. Yeah. Albert is yeah, a guy Donovan, who's Donovan, like the working out. right over him. He was he was leading the league in hits at one point, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He was he was the best hitter in the Cal League for like six weeks. He he was going on home run tears. He was the RBI he was the RBI leader for I think two and a half weeks after he got promoted. Yeah. <laughs> Until Tyrone Lorenzo got healthy with Rancho, like it, it was Albert. And look, most of our opinion may be a little biased. Like we really see the South almost always. I didn't see like I didn't see the San Jose Giants in person until August twenty eighth, but in the South, like a- Albert was having a good time. He's kind of the dad of the group. He had been there. He had been up to Fort Wayne, came back. Uh, he the pros pro keep you in line, and then you know bust you a little bit when uh, you're goofing off. But it was a really good team and a really good coaching staff to like be around. They had, like it was it was never seemed to be a problem in that clubhouse. Well, man, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Our first broadcast interview with you. Hopefully, many, many more to come. Uh, Hope so. Jacob, man, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Bruce, thanks for having me.